Let's pray. Uh, Our Father, we would uh, see Jesus, and so this morning we ask that uh, we would be able to listen to you, that your spirit would speak into our hearts uh, and change us to be like him. Amen. Well, it was my 40-something birthday, and I was driving my son to school, just the two of us in the car, and he said, Dad, Dad, I think he was about eight at the time, he said, Dad, I wish I was your age. And I said to him, oh, look, that's lovely, son, but, you know, most people think it's more fun kind of being a kid, you know, and that 40-something, um, well, you know, some people would even say that's middle-aged, you know. And without a beat... He said to me, yeah, but you're closer to seeing Jesus. And uh, boy, put a lump in my throat that he is, with the wisdom and the innocence of a child, he's saying, you need to see your life writ against eternity. He had the perspective of resurrection, of eternity, of looking forward to seeing Jesus. Me? Not so much. (laughs) For me, the week I turned 40 was the week my father died. Uh, The worst possible um, reminder of your mortality, uh, being there as as he left uh, this earth, was awful. And every birthday since, turning 40-something, turning 50-something, you know, there's those kind of thoughts of marathons, of um, motorbikes, of uh, things that will somehow make me feel young and um, put away the regrets that come as you start collecting candles on the cake and collecting medical stories and specialists and uh, those kind of things. That unspoken realisation that life isn't one of growth and um, uh, going upwards and onwards and and only stronger, but instead is one marked by a downward descent into decay and death. It's a rather bleak thought on such a lovely morning, isn't it? And it was never that front of mind as I was driving my son to school. But if you'd picked away at it, that's what made sense of how I was thinking so differently to him. I wasn't seeing life against resurrection, against eternity, against seeing Jesus. And it seems to me my my eight-year-old son's got a much better handle on the kind of way that Paul would have us all think in Philippians. passage this morning um, is Paul's final appeal, in a way, really, to the Philippians to adopt a mature... Um, mindset of what it means to be Christian. They were concerned for him who was in prison and in this dangerous situation and possibly facing death and they wanted to help him and he was grateful for that help but he also wanted them to realise that his sufferings, his persecution, his perseverance, his waiting for heaven 
wasn't just a bad thing, but was actually God's means of grace. It was actually something he was inviting them to join in and to have that same kind of heavenly mindset. Um, to be heavenly kind of citizens. Now, look, let me, uh, before we grapple with the, with the text which is here in front of us, recommend to you this wonderful little book uh, uh, by my old minister, William Taylor, uh, a book called Partnership on Philippians. And this week I found this a really helpful book. Happy to um, share it with you over morning tea so you can get the, the details. But um, I'm shamelessly stealing some of this stuff from uh, William this morning and so I just wanted to be up front and put that out there so you, you know. Um, uh, I think he helpfully picks up what is particularly the structure here of this passage that, that Paul writes the Philippians with a request you know, to be heavenly minded, to be like minded like that, um, with an encouragement to keep going and to press on, uh, like uh, Paul himself, and with an exhortation to do to do just that. So we begin with this uh, request um, to adopt the heavenly mindset. If you have a look, and you've got Philippians open in front of your uh, chapter. Uh, 3 verse 15, he's got a, a verse there, uh, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. This is, uh, if you want to misuse the Bible, this is about the most helpful proof text you can ever have because all you need to do is quote this text, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, you know, whatever you've just said. That's what it is, and if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. That's how to misuse the text, don't actually do that. Um, what is it that Paul is saying, you've got to think this way? It's not anything, it's not any random belief. It's actually about um, uh, the, the, the kind of uh, maturity that says our future is to be in heaven. And we've actually got a citizenship now of that heavenly kingdom. So maturity is about realising that you are the citizen of a place that you're not in yet. You've got to have that like-mindedness. And you've got to not think in other ways. And that is God's desire uh, for you. That your life now is... Um, uh, with its uh, all the all the values and goals and directions that you have in life, the things that you dream about, the things that you wake up thinking about, have to be shaped by that eternal future, by that heavenly citizenship, by that future with Christ. So be like-minded, Cherubrook Anglican. Be like-minded in that belief. You need to think that same thing you know some sometimes today all we hear about is diversity you've got to have diversity not here you've got to have conformity you've got to have uniformity you've got to actually think the same thing at this point this is not something which is up for grabs being heavenly minded uh, is something that you should be striving with uh, together and being heavenly minded like that obviously means that the future lies in the future. You are, you're not there yet. 
You know, it's like the, the eternal uh, drive up the coast with the kids in the back seat. Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet, right? We're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Don't fall for a kind of Christianity that says you can have it all now. Paul will say, verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this. And in case you missed it, verse 13, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I haven't obtained it. I haven't obtained it. I haven't taken hold of it. But he strains forward. He presses on. The future is what he's pressing towards. Future that he doesn't yet have. He urges them to do something quite radical. He urges them to wait. Are we there yet? No. You need to wait. Wait for what? Wait for, verse 20, a saviour from there, from heaven where our citizenship is. Eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I've got a son who's really into kind of gymming and over the last year he's put on like 10 kilos of muscle. He competed yesterday up in Newcastle in this powerlifting championship, lifting unbelievable kind of weights. You know, he's lifted 200 kilograms. Um, next time we need the fridge moved, he's my go-to, right? His body has been transformed in remarkable ways. Uh, I'm hoping he's going to watch this uh, on Facebook and hear this. But, you know, isn't that what you go to a gym for? to see your body transformed. You know, I didn't get this body without a lot of work. You know, uh, that's the kind of, you know, uh, there's been a transformation which has taken place. And people buy that, they want that. That You know, how do I get that kind of body? Paul is saying you, you can actually have glorious heavenly bodies. Your body at the moment, it, it's not so glorious. It needs transformation. Some of us are more aware of that than others, right? But this is not um, uh, just about, like, the physical body and the promise of that. He's actually talking about a fallen world and bodies which are subject to decay and death because they're subject to the law of sin and death. In this fallen world, doctors are good at putting off the inevitable. But with a long enough time frame, they all fail to save their patients. You know, everyone dies in the end. I feel like I should be wearing black, or singing, channeling Johnny Cash or something. But there is death that awaits even the most glorious body that walks around us, right? Paul is saying, you know what, I can actually promise you a future that a gym will not deliver, that a doctor cannot delay, it's actually talking about a, a resurrection body, a, a life on a different kind of time frame, a different horizon, and a life which is free, not just of the physical um, decay and death, but the judgment of decay and death that comes with a fallen world. With a, with a body which is subject to, to sin like that. He promises entry to the home that we were made for, the home where we will be with God forever. Um, are we there yet? We're not there yet. The future is the future. That's the thing that we are to long for. 
Now, imagine if, you know, you could chart your life like this and it, it went from, I don't know, what year do you start? You know, whatever that year is now, up to 2022. Hang on, doing this in a mirror. Left to right will be. That's your year of birth, right? And here we are in 2022. How long do you keep going until actually that's the, the number that's going to go on the grave? You know what this number is? For me, it's 1968. Those of you who are good at maths have already figured out my age. So what, what's your start number? And then what's the number that's going to be the one on your grave at the end? You know, would I make it to 2068? That'd be 100 years. Is that right? Yes. See how bad my maths is, right? That'd be huge. That'd be a long life. But Paul is saying, imagine something that goes beyond whatever that number is and off into eternity. Something that goes down past the cherry book shops. Something that goes beyond Dural. I don't know if I'm even pointing the right way now, you know? Something that, that goes off past Queensland. Something that, that heads off and, and doesn't actually have any... Like, wh what horizon are you writing your life against? Is it, is it about this here? This, these moments? You know, maybe it's this long, maybe it's this long. Or is it against, you know... That's what Paul is saying here. Live for that. Live for that heavenly kingdom that you've been made for. If death feels awful and the thought of it thinks life should not be like that, you're right. We're not made to just have such a short span of numbers. But death comes into this world through sin and judgment and needs to be dealt with. You know, we need to right ourselves against eternity. And so Paul encourages them to do just that, to put their hope on Jesus who walked out of the grave. Remember, remember Paul used to persecute the Christians who had that ludicrous claim that the, the crucified Jesus had been raised from the grave until he met the crucified Jesus who'd been raised from the grave the road to Damascus, that resurrection encounter, and then all of a sudden, how could he possibly think about his own life and death in the same way as he did before? He couldn't. And how could we? That's the challenge. He's been telling the Philippians that he looks forward to the day of Christ Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 6. That's how he kind of opens the letter. That day is the day that the fruit of righteousness will appear. Right? Chapter 1, verse 10. And he wants them to be part of it. Uh, he, he's saying that there's going to be a harvest on the day that Jesus comes back. And that day of harvest is the day when the, the fruit is shown to be what it is. It is weird language, right? Weird kind of image. But what he's saying is we're not yet at the harvest. What's happened is stuff's been planted and stuff's growing, but it's not yet ready to harvest. We had a cherry orchard outside of Bathurst as I was growing up. Cherry trees, you plant them and you care for them for seven long years before you see the harvest. For seven years, you don't see a single cherry or you don't see any that are edible at least. You certainly don't see a, a, a harvest kind of crop. You wait. Are we there yet? We're not there yet. What do you have to do? You have to wait. As Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, you're not there yet, because we're not there yet. The harvest has not yet come. 
you've been planted, you've heard the gospel, you've received it, um, the, the, you're, you're growing, good things are happening, but the harvest of righteousness hasn't yet appeared because the day of Christ hasn't yet appeared. The harvest is in the future. Okay? So where are we up to? Well, we're in days of waiting and days of hope. And so at the moment, if you're in times of suffering, as Paul is, that's okay. Not that suffering's a good thing, but it's okay because it's not the final thing. Life now will be, in part, about suffering kind of perseverance. But Paul is able to say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what life is about. I, I mentioned my dad, uh, who, who uh, died when I was 40. He came down with early onset dementia, far too young, early onset, of course. Um, but he had a firm Christian faith. He lost his grip on reality and stuff pretty quickly as, as uh, dementia took hold. But one of the last cogent conversations we had uh, he, he said to me, Michael, what, is, what happens when I die? That, and that was about the longest sentence we'd, we'd heard from him for months. And, you know, his faith was, was sure, he, he knew what his future was, but he was, he, he said, what happens, you know? What is actually going to happen to me when I die? And, you know... There'd been exam questions at uh, Moore College. I'd been asked that same question. You know, what happens to people when they die? Uh, what is the intermediate state? What do you think about soul sleep? Is there a resurrection of the body and then the soul? And, you know, lots of interesting books have been written on that and doctoral theses, and I'd written exam questions on that. But as he asked me that question, none of that seemed important. And we looked, we opened up the Bible to this verse... And I said, look, listen to this. To live is Christ and to die um, is gain. To live is Christ and to die uh, is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, that'll mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. But this is the one I really picked up, this verse. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. I don't know what will happen to you when you die, Dad. And, and when I'm at a funeral and I'm talking to people about what happens to people when they die, in a sense, I don't know exactly what happens to people when they die, but I know that the best summary advice that's here in the Bible on the whole question of that is, is from this verse which says oh, it'll be a question of departing we all know the pain of that but also to be with Christ so I was able to say to dad look you'll be with Jesus you'll be with Jesus that's what the future is that's what my son would go on to tell me from the back seat of the car he believed it. It's better to be with Jesus. It's better to see him face to face. That's what life is really about. 
Do you believe that? Are you living for that day? That day when Jesus, who has paid for sin, who has conquered the grave, who's ascended to the right hand of the Father, will return and bring the dead to life. When all that hardness and brokenness and sorrow and pain and injustice and weeping and tears are put away with forever. Do you yearn for that day? I love the way Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 13 when he's talking about the great Christian virtues of, you know them? Faith, hope and love. Faith, well that's about stuff you can't see and yet you believe. Hope is about that future that you're yearning for and love is the greatest of those because there'll be a day when faith and hope aren't needed anymore when it will be someone that you see face to face, you'll see Jesus face to face. It won't be a question of hoping in something unseen, believing in something unseen and faith. It won't be a question of hope because there's no future thing that you're looking forward to. This will be the realisation of hope. And on that day, it'll be love. Realising how much the God who made you loves you. And being able to love him forever and his people forever. And being reunited with those whom we love and currently mourn for. Isn't that beautiful? That's the promise. And Paul is saying, be like-minded and have that kind of maturity. That is a really hard thing to do. I suspect this is the only 23 minutes in this week that you will hear this kind of advice and counsel. Because <laughs> everything else says, have it now. Strive to be young. Listen to the advice of 14-year-olds on TikTok. That's where wisdom is found. And this is saying, look forward to the future. Find wisdom from a life set against eternity. Put your hope in something that doctors cannot give you. Strain forwards towards that goal. That's the language in verse 13 to 14 of, of straining forward, of pressing on to the finish. It's an athletic image. Um, it, language that they used of the, of the Olympics. Um, remember, they did have the Olympics in the first century. Um, I'm no Olympian. I don't really know what it means to strain on like that. Closest I can do is city to surf. In the city to surf, if you've run it, you know that the last bit is the worst bit. Everyone thinks it's Heartbreak Hill. It's not Heartbreak Hill. It's not the... It's not the um, up and down hills around Vaucluse afterwards. The worst bit is when you get to kilometre 13 and a bit and you've still got about a kilometre and a half to go and you hit Campbell Parade at, at Bondi and no longer are you running downhill and you can just use that momentum but you're on the flat and Campbell Parade, <laughs> it just goes on forever and you just need to keep running and running and running and then you run past the finish line and then have to go big U-turn around the roundabout and back through the car park to the finish. It is hard to keep going in that last little stretch. It's hard to keep going to the tape. And a lot of people look around and they, they stop and they stop running. And it's the great runners who just keep going at that point, whose eyes are only looking forward, who realise that it's not over until it's over, who realise we're not there yet and need to keep going. Press on. 
Christian life is pressing on to the finishing line. When it gets flat, when you don't have the, the, the hill behind you, when it is that long slog to the finish, press on. Press on with confidence. But notice it's not about being super athletes all in our own strength. It's about confidence in what Christ has done. Verse 12, because Christ has taken hold of him, he's able to press on. What's taken uh, place in the past at the cross and resurrection gives him confidence about the future. And so as he finds himself in prison, he's able to press on. Live for him who is your future. Take on that selfless, sacrificial longing and yearning. Notice that as he's kind of saying, do these things, he's saying, look, there is a negative example not to follow. There are some who are enemies of the cross of Christ who will say, you know, that suffering is a, is a sign of, of failure. Um, there are two ways to live that are being described here, if you like. He describes this group of people who are enemies of the cross, verse 18, whose God is their belly, who set their minds on, on earthly things, their, their glory is in their shame. And I think it's the same group of people that we met last week who are wanting um, to keep um, uh, forcing the, the Christians to take on all kinds of Jewish practices. You know, the food that they eat, the, the circumcision... Um, the keeping of the law. I think that's just being described here as in, in different ways. The God is their belly. Um, uh, I think it's about food laws. You know, you, you're worshipping the things that you eat and you think that that's going to make you right with God. Your glory is your shame. I think it's actually a way of talking about circumcision. You know, your glory, you're really, you're going to make a glory out of your circumcision, you know? That's fleshly, earthly ways of thinking that make you, in the end, to be enemies of the cross because you're looking to find righteousness in the things that you can do rather than in what he has done. We mustn't do that ourselves. We mustn't find ourselves wanting to call ourselves Christians but not have a place for the cross not have a place for suffering, not have a place for perseverance, to see those things as failure, to think that the Christian life can be one which is suffering-free and cross-free is not the Christian life. Paul's saying that's actually being an enemy of the cross. Don't go there. Instead, live in the present now in light of the future. It's not that line from Gladiator, isn't it? You know, what we do now echoes on into eternity, you know? Paul is able to say... I'm suffering now for the cross, for Christ. Um, living now in the priorities that I have, in the relationships, in the time, in the money, in the priorities, in everything, in light of that eternity. Now, Russell Crowe and gladiators, you know, don't actually know whether getting eaten by tigers makes a difference into eternity. They'll probably be forgotten. Um, uh, the, the city to surfer who presses on uh, to that end actually gets the same plastic medal as the person who walks in last, right? Uh, sometimes we're big at talking up suffering in this world and not actually having an eternal difference. But those illustrations, the reality here 
is that Jesus' death, his cross in the past, is our rock-solid guarantee of the future. What he's done in the past, it goes on into eternity. And as we join him in that, in imitating him, in taking hold of him as he's taken hold of us, then that's the guarantee of our future, of our heavenly prize. So have confidence. Have confidence now. To know Jesus is to have every aspect of the present focused on and shaped by his glorious future. And that's why we need to keep remembering what happened in the past, his broken body, his shed blood. That's why we need to proclaim in the present his broken body, his shed blood. That's why we need to look forward to the day when we will join in that heavenly banquet and to be with him forever. We, we've done that this morning as we, we've heard God's word, but we're going to do it as well as we gather around his table in a moment to remember his broken body, his shed blood, to proclaim his broken body, his shed blood, to take hold of it for ourselves. Now, I don't know whether that's a way of thinking about Jesus' death that you've ever done, but if you haven't, maybe right now is the time that God is grabbing you and saying, remember Jesus, take hold of him, he's taking hold of you. If that's you, join, join in that meal. That's what we're going to do together. If it's not you yet, listen to the proclamation. This is something we are betting everything on. He is our real hope. Listen. Find out why. We're going to sing. The band's going to come up now. Uh, we're going to sing and then we're going to join together in the Lord's Supper.